Dr. Olala, what a joy. What a joy. You come and give us God's word now. Thank you, Pastor. Uh, I just want to thank those who have come for the, I think, 14 sessions up to this point. You have been sitting a long time. And the fellowship has been great. And the input that you have given uh, in the discussion has been excellent and, uh, and deepened much of what we were uh, sharing. And then to meet the rest of you folks this morning, we are very grateful. I want to introduce my wife. Uh, she can just wave her hand back there. We have been in the ministry trench for 57 years together. I met her when she was three years old. And uh, and so we are uh, delighted to be here. We have been through this area for many times years ago when we where we used to travel years ago to Life Action Ministries, and we were from Seattle all the way down to San Diego, spending much time on the West Coast. And I was here at one time on another uh, venue, but uh, my heart has always remembered the San Francisco Bay Area. And I cannot tell you how thrilled Charlene and I are, both of us, to realize that there is a gospel light in this area. And what a thrill to to see you this morning with smiling faces. Let's pray, and then I want you to turn to the book of Acts chapter 3. God, I, I commit this time to you God, you know my heart, and I plead with you that I would be able to clearly present the truth of your word. We rejoice in the finished work of Jesus Christ that we might know eternal life. Thank you for the propitiation work that was done. The wrath of God satisfied that we can call you Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. Undertake now, be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to go to my text, Acts chapter 3 and verse 13. And I want to go to where I pulled the phrase of the title that is in your bulletin, The Father hath glorified the Son. Acts chapter 3 and verse 13, The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus, whom ye delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. And I pull that phrase out, The Father hath glorified his son Jesus. Now the context of this, Pentecost had just happened. The crucifixion had happened some 50 days earlier. Then Peter was chosen of God to preach. Now a spirit-filled believer turned from a coward, one who denied Christ three times the night of the crucifixion, now chosen of God to proclaim the gospel so clearly, and 3,000 people were saved that day and added to the church. What an exciting time. You could bask in that highlight for a long, long time. But all of a sudden, in chapter 3 and verse 1, back to reality, back to the real world. 
Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, the same hour that the call, it is finished, was given. And a certain lame man from his mother's womb was carried, whom they daily led at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered the temple. So here we see this man was carried every day for how many years, who knows? But he would be placed there at the entrance of the temple begging alms. A man unable to walk, carried by someone else there, who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. Peter fastening his eyes upon him with John and said, look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. And Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Can you imagine, after this great day of Pentecost, after Peter's preaching, after there has been such a time of revival at this point, they go back to the day-to-day responsibility of going in and going before God in worship and prayer and meeting a needy person. You cannot walk very far in this world that you do not see a needy person. And when you go out the doors of this church, it's not just that you have been here and you have fellowshiped and you've fed. There is a real world that is filled with needy people. Hurting world. A world that is empty without hope. Unless we as believers like Peter and John say silver and gold have we none, but what we do have we give unto you. In the name of Jesus Christ, receive new life. Verse 7, and he took him by the right hand, lifted him up, and immediately his feet and bones received strength. You could tell a medical doctor is writing this, describing his feet and ankle bones receiving strength. And he leaping up and stood and walked and entered with him into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. You can picture this. Here this man for, for how long? Years on the street, begging alms, unable to walk. Suddenly he's up leaping and praising God. Verse 10, they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. They were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. And the lame man which was healed held Peter and John. All the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye earnestly on us, as though by our own power or holiness we made this man to walk? The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus, whom ye delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. Peter and John are saying, now these people are holding Peter and John up in amazement and wonder as though they were something great. And instantly, Peter deflects the glory and said, no, this is made possible by the one you nailed on the cross. And he was turning the guns on those who were shouting, crucify him. Release unto us Barabbas. And Peter saying, by that man who you put on the cross, this man is walking today. 
Now I want to get into the outline that you have in your hand because now we begin to see what Peter begins to unfold regarding this person, Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus Christ? Remember when I was in the Micronesian Islands, and of course you're very familiar with those. I was in the island, I, I believe it was on Palau, and they asked if I would speak at a junior college, they had a Bible study for any of the junior college students who would come there. And we met in a pavilion outside in a park. And a, a number of those college students came. And I said, I have a premise question. Because so many were unbelievers that came. I said, who is Jesus Christ and why did he come? I said, I want you to throw out your answers on that. Because if any solution to a life dilemma is going to happen that is going to be lasting, it will be, what will I do with Jesus Christ? And so they began to give answers, some very good answers, some very accurate answers, some very general answers. And thank the Lord there were some there in those Micronesians who had come to know Christ and actually were on the way to the States to get Bible training. But others were there who were there out of curiosity. Who is Jesus Christ? Now Peter goes into verse 14. He said, this is the one who was nailed on the cross, but you. Now he turns the attention to those who were the mockers. You denied the Holy One. So note number one in your outline, the character of Christ. What is Peter pointing out here? You denied the Holy One. So first of all, we note that Peter is pointing out that the one you nailed on the cross was the Holy One of God. The testimony of Isaiah the prophet. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabits eternity, whose name is Holy. I dwell in a high and lofty place with him also that is contrite in a humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble to revive the heart of the contrite ones. So Peter was saying, the character of Christ, he is the Holy One. Secondly, we see the testimony of the psalmist. Psalm 103 and verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Peter said, you crucified Jesus Christ, the Holy One. Now we have the testimony of the maniac uh, of Gadara. And you remember when Jesus began his ministry, miraculous ministry there in Capernaum on the Sea of Galilee. Then he takes ship to go across the Sea of Galilee. And I'm, I'm sure several of you have been there where you have gone on at Capernaum and you have gone over onto the region, what is called the Gadareans, the region of Gadara. And there is the maniac of Gadara. Here he is in the tombs, unclothed, unconverted, uncontrolled. And the devils that were in him knew Jesus Christ. And what did they cry? Matthew, Mark one twenty four saying, let us alone. They saw Jesus, the Son of God, coming out of the ship, up the shoreline, up into the region. 
And he said, let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? Here are the demons that were in this man. I know thee who thou art. The Holy One of God. These were demons. Not only Isaiah, not only the psalmist. Now we see the testimony of demons who knew they were afraid that he was coming to cast them to the eternal doom before their time. We know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. Isn't that an amazing testimony? It is a fact, the character of Christ, he was the sinless, holy one of God, capable of paying the penalty for our sin. Colossians 2.9, in him that is in Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Not only did he say, ye denied the Holy One, notice the next word, and the just. Not only was he right in relationship with God the Father, the Holy God. Not only was Jesus right in relationship to God the Father because he was the Holy One. Now he is saying, you denied the just one. He was right in his relationship to man. So we see the testimony of Pilate's wife, Matthew 27 and verse 19. Pilate's wife, when Jesus was on trial, she goes to Pilate. And when he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife said unto him, Have nothing to do with this just man. Interesting. Pilate's wife was saying, he's a just man. There is no sin that he is chargeable for. None. Honey, don't play with this one. Keep your hands off this one. Have nothing to do with this just man, for I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. I think his wife was so worked up and so convinced that Jesus was who he said he was, that she is pleading with Pilate, don't bring him to judgment. See the testimony of Pilate himself, Matthew 27 and verse 24. When Pilate saw that he could reveal nothing, the tumult was crying, Release unto us Barabbas. We will not have this man rule over us. And Pilate saw that he could do nothing to prevail, but rather a tumult was made. He took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. Peter said, you denied the Holy One and you denied the Just One. There was no one who could bring an accusation against Jesus Christ and it would hold water that he had sinned and that he was a criminal and that it could be proven. No one could do that. And Pilate said, I'm innocent. So he is before this multitude washing his hands and into eternity. I think he's still washing, trying to get the blood from his hands. Amazing, the testimony of Judas, thirdly. Judas' testimony. Then Judas, Matthew 27, verses 3 and 4. Then Judas, which had betrayed him. Remember, in the upper room discourse, Jesus said, pouring out his heart in John 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, pouring out his heart to his loved ones who are left and said, this is what you're going to face in this world. He knew within 24 hours he would be crucified. And he was pouring out his heart to his people. Judas slips out in the middle. 
of that upper room discourse to go and collect the 30 pieces of silver to go and make the plans because he knew where Jesus would be going to the garden of Gethsemane after this time when Jesus would go there for that time of prayer. He went and met with those who were the high priests and the Roman soldiers who were going to now capture Jesus when Judas would have planted that kiss of betrayal. Now here's the testimony of Judas, Matthew 27. Then Judas, which betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders. So he takes these 30 pieces and goes back to the, take this back, take this back, saying, I have sinned in that I have betrayed innocent blood. Judas, the one who had been trained one-on-one, -on -one, three years with Jesus Christ, never, never turned in his heart. Commencement time came, but he, he didn't make it. I betrayed innocent blood, and they said, what is that to us? See thou to that. The priest said, don't talk to us about that. We paid you, you go your way. And Judas took the 30 pieces of silver and cast it down. Went out and hanged himself. He took the 30 pieces of silver and brought what is called the keldum of the field of blood. But Judas, what a testimony. I've sinned, betraying innocent blood. This man was without sin. So Peter is saying, you denied the Holy One right in his relationship to the Father, capable of satisfying the wrath of a holy God and the just one. No man could bring accusation. Now let's look secondly. The next verb, you denied the Holy One and the just. Now the next verb here, and desired a murderer to be granted unto you. Now we see the choice of the crowd. The choice that the crowd made. You desired a murderer to be granted unto you. John 19, 14 and 15. And it was the preparation day about the sixth hour. And he said unto the Jews, behold your king. But they cried out, away with him. Away with him. Crucify him. And Pilate said unto them, surely... Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. What a phony answer that was. Caesar, they and Caesar got along like, like water and oil. But here the chief priest said, No, no, Caesar is, is our king. Jesus is not our king. And we see the choice of the crowd. They cried, Crucify him. Luke 23 and verse 18 Release unto us Barabbas. Barabbas was a convicted criminal. And they cried out at once saying, away with this man. Release unto us Barabbas. Barabbas guilty, convicted, already condemned. But it was the custom to release one of the prisoners. And Pilate said, who shall I release? And they said, release unto us Barabbas. The guilty one to put on the cross the guiltless one. 
And you know, our human natures are much more comfortable with sinners than we are with sinlessness. And I asked myself the question, had I been in that crowd, I would have been crying with the sinful heart with which I was born. I would have been crying away with him, crucify him. I don't want a sinless one. I can better identify with a sinful one, Barabbas. I remember years ago, I, I, we had our Bible conference at Northland, and I invited all the college presidents that, that we had room for, all of that were in our circle, Maranatha and Pillsbury and uh, Bob Jones University, and I had the presidents all speak at this Bible conference. I'd, I did away with most workshops and had all general sessions, but all the presidents were, were to speak, and Dr. Bob Jones Jr. Uh, was one of those who came to speak. And he read a poem during this uh, message, or quoted a poem before. I don't think he, he ever did anything from reading. I think everything he had was memorized. And here's, here's his poem. And in fact, Dr. Cummins came to me, the, the one who wrote much of the Baptist history. He came and said, uh, could you ask Dr. Bob where he got that poem or could I get a copy of that poem? But here's what it was. Before my heart to Christ was won, I wonder what I might have done had I with them beheld his grief, would I have mocked with mocking thief or joined the penitential plea of him who prayed, remember me? Would I with Pharisaic pride have placed myself those priests beside? And we see that the, the, the thing that he gave here, he was giving, oh, let my heart toward him incline to ease thy pain with drug-laced wine and thrilled to hear the Romans say, this was God's son who died today. His brow with thorny crown display, his spreading blood a mantle made. Such scanty cloak no king e'er wore or thus enthroned was seen before. Nor ever had triumphant cry like it is finished torn the sky. A rocky hill, so small a stage that day in time a single page. But God conceived the scene there played. Ere foundation stones were laid, and on this page with blood-dipped pen, a pardon signed for blood-stained men. And this I know, thou suffering son, thy love this stubborn heart has won, nor can there be aught that these hands deny unto thee. I remember hearing the poem, and Dr. Cummins came and said, could you ask Dr. Bob so... I went to Dr. Bob. I said, Dr. Cummins wants a copy of that poem. He said, I don't have a copy. He said, I, I, I wrote that on the plane on the way up here to the conference. And he said, I don't have a copy of it that I could put my hands on right now. But he said, I can, I'll, I'll write it out for him. And I said, when you get it, Dr. Cummins, give me a copy. Because it really says what's going on in our hearts. What would we have done? Our guilty hearts, our sinful souls, would we not more quickly identify with those who were in sin and cry and crucify this Holy One than come to repentance? And then we see, number three, the crime of the crucifixion. 
and killed. Note the next verb there. You denied the Holy One and the just. You desired a murderer to be granted unto you and killed. Note that next verb, and killed the prince of life. How can you kill the author of life? How do you kill the author of life? In fact, the prince there is literally the one who authored life. You look at Lazarus, Mary and Martha, and people are grieving. Lazarus had died, and they get there, and, and they descend on Jesus. And said, had you been here earlier, our brother would not have died. In John chapter 11, 43, and when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with napkin. Jesus said unto them, Loose him and let him go. How do you kill the one who speaks and dead comes to life? Matthew seventeen twenty seven. he commanded a fish with a coin in his mouth, came in obedience to be caught so Peter could go and pay their taxes. Matthew 17, verse 27. Notwithstanding, lest we should offend them, go thou to the sea and cast a hook. Take up the fish that comes up first. And when thou hast opened his mouth, thou shalt find a piece of money and take and give unto them for me and for thee. In other words, Peter, we've got a lot to do here. IRS is on our back. Go down to the sea, and the omniscient one, the creator of life, ordered that this one fish, coin that had fallen perhaps out of a fisherman's uh, pocket when he was casting nets, and but the omniscient one, though he had surrendered the in the kenosis of Philippians 2, he did not surrender all of the privileges of the exercise of deity. But here, this fish came in obedience, and the taxes were paid. Colossians chapter 1, in whom we have redemption through his blood. Listen to this, the creator. In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him, by Jesus Christ, the one they put on the cross, by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And by him all things consist. How do you kill the author of life? The answer is you can't. What did Jesus say in John 10? No man takes my life. I lay my life down willingly. It wasn't like, oh, they finally caught him. and they fin No, Jesus said, my time has come. He knew why he came into the world. My time has come. He is the good shepherd who laid down his life willingly, John 10.10. 10. I talked in our conference about the triad of shepherd psalms of Psalm 22 and Psalm 23 and Psalm 24. Here we see Psalm 22, the good shepherd who laid down his life. 
the great shepherd who shepherds us, the chief shepherd who is coming for us. Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took on him the form of a servant, and being made in likeness as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death. Even the death of the cross. They didn't trap him, and he couldn't, like, he had no wherewithal. No, he laid his life down willingly. Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, made himself of no reputation, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. How do you kill the prince of life? You cannot kill the prince of life. And then we see the conclusion of the cross. Verse 15, and kill the prince of life whom God hath raised from the dead. So what, what is the conclusion of the cross? The grieving was there. But yet we find that the resurrection was ahead. Can you imagine being the disciples on that night and, and Jesus told Peter a couple different occasions, Peter, you're going to deny me. Peter said, if the whole world turned to God, I would never deny you. And said, Peter, you're going to deny me before the rooster crows. Jesus had gone to the Garden of Gethsemane. There he was in agony, praying and sweating, as it were, great drops of blood. He was in such agony, and he was crying out unto the Father, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. What was in that cup? The sins of all mankind from the time of Adam till the present day, the sins of all mankind, he was paying the debt for that sin penalty. And he knew if the Father's wrath was going to be satisfied and there could ever be a communication of God's love to mankind again, that cup had to be taken. Because Jesus knew that meant separation from his Father from eternity past it had never been and eternity the future will never be again. For that period of time, Jesus had to take the cup of God's wrath for us to have eternal life. The intensity was so great, God had to send an angel, probably Michael, to comfort him in the garden, so distressed. And I imagine the Father said, go to the Gethsemane and comfort my son. I don't know what role that angel had or if it was Michael, what role he had, but there was a presence like Daniel experienced when he was crying out for 21 days. Our Savior was in agony. And the agony was not the pain aspect as much as the anticipation of the separation. Then he settles it. He told the disciples, go and pray with me. My soul is sorrowful even unto death. Come pray with me. He goes out and looks and they're sleeping. 
I don't blame them because I'm sure that whole Passion Week was so packed from morning till night, probably late into the... I don't think when they got in that cool of that garden in the darkness with the flickering oil lamps, I'm sure they probably couldn't fight it any longer. And Jesus said, you could not watch with me an hour? Comes back again and they're sleeping. And he gave the only command the church has lovingly and willingly obeyed. He said, sleep on now and take your rest. That's one command the church has loved to obey. Sleep on, go on, take your rest. And he goes back and then he surrenders. And he goes from Gethsemane out to the arms of those who were waiting to take him to crucifixion. And Judas plans to kiss and betrayal. And Jesus said, Judas... You betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And these soldiers take him and then starts the mocking and the plucking of the beard and the laughter and the punching. One man so bold and so brave punches him, said, if, if you are who you say you are, tell me who hit you. Boy, I thought, if that were me and I had the wherewithal that he had, I would have gone, who hit you, pal? How do you like your new hairdo? But no, it says in Hebrews, for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. What was the joy? You and me, the church. His bride. He wasn't turned aside. The mocking, the spitting, you're you're not who you say you are. Because he had way beyond Then they nail him to the cross. Twelve noon. I think hands are up at the twelve, aren't they there? No, but it's empty up. Just all of a sudden the world goes black. It's twelve noon now. Just picture everything black worldwide. Try to get on your cell phone call mom back in Virginia. It's dark here too. Worldwide dark. Why? The light of the world was out. From noon till three in the afternoon. What was going on? He was on the cross. You know what was happening in that three hours? It's called propitiation. You see that fancy word? In other words, God's perfect love and God's perfect holiness were intention, and for God's perfect love to be manifested to us, his holiness had to be satisfied. Because when Adam crashed the human race into sin, that holiness and love now <clears throat> had to be resolved. Because before God could manifest his love toward us, His holiness had to be satisfied. And the only way that could be done was mentioned first in Genesis 3.15, right after man sinned. And in those three hours, you say, where was God? God was right there, pouring out his wrath on the son who was taking our wrath for us so we would never have to know it. Because God's wrath 
had to be satisfied for sin. And the only way it could be solved is the sinless son of God to leave the father's throne to go to be born in a feed trough and walk 33 years in this world as a sinless being that he might pay the penalty for our sin. That's what it means. He became sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. We'll never know God's wrath. Aren't you glad for that? Because the son bore the wrath so that the father's holiness was satisfied and his love could be manifest. And that gives us John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he did what? Gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Oh, that we could get a handle on that message and make that proclamation of that deliverance to the world. You don't need to be under God's wrath. You have had that penalty paid for you. It's done. You will not face your sin issue again because it's paid for in full. What's the conclusion of the cross? God raised him from the dead. The angel sitting at the tomb told the women, fear not. He's not here, he's risen. Empty tomb. The, the stone didn't have to be rolled away for Christ to get out. The stone had to be rolled away so people could go in and see it was an empty place. First Corinthians 15. After that he was seen of Cephas, then of twelve, and after that seen of above five hundred brethren at one time. And I witnessed, you had the women, you had the 12, you had the 500, or the 11 and then 500. That's plenty of eyewitnesses in any court case. And then 1 Corinthians 15, 20. The confidence that we as believers have in facing death is based upon the resurrection of Christ. Isn't it fun to go to a Christian's funeral? After the grieving is done, we say goodbye to that loved one for a period of time. Yet we also know we can't grieve for that person. That person is home. I love that song at funerals, finally home, finally home. You know what? Every one of us are going to face the realization that this ticker is going to stop. But how we can rejoice in that finished work of Christ on the cross. Now Christ is risen from the dead. 1 Corinthians 15. I like what many church nurseries have on their door. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. I thought that's pretty good thinking. But now Christ is risen from the dead. Aren't you glad? And we, you know what we have in us? That resurrection power. That's what Ephesians 1, that prayer is. Paul is saying, God, open the eyes of these people to see that in them they have that resurrection power. And then, what's the conclusion of the cross? Last enemy is gone. And that enemy is death. What's the confession of the Christian whereof we are witnesses? You know, you walk out the doors of this church, you're not going back just to a self-centered world. 
that you have? Do you realize that you, after this time, you begin to realize that there are people out there who do not have the truth that are going to be perishing, and you have the answer. You say, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I unto you. What is that? The truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What a what a opportunity we have to be able to proclaim that gospel to a lost world. Let's bow our heads together. I just love seeing the scriptures describing our deliverance. I wonder is there, could you say, you don't need to raise your hand, but could you say, if I were to drop dead right now, I know that I would be in heaven. You don't need to raise your hand. I know that I would be in heaven because I've accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. How would you answer that within your own soul? Would you say, yes, absolutely, I know that. But I wonder, what if? You say, well, Les, I don't have that assurance, but to be honest, I want to lift my hand and say, would you pray for me? I don't have that assurance, but I would like to have that assurance. Would you quietly slip your hand up and I pray with you as we close, pray for you? Say, yeah, I don't have that assurance, but I want that assurance. Because of the truth of God's word, would you quietly slip your hand up and say, yes, that's, that's me. Pray for me. Or you could pray right there within your own heart. God, be merciful to me, a sinner, and save me acknowledging that sin, and God be merciful and save me for Jesus' sake. Anyone like that? I won't ask for a public response for you by raise of hand as a believer, but God might prompt your heart later during the invitation to say, you know what I need to do? I just need to get on my knees right where I am and Or go down on that front row and say, God, have your way in my life. God, use me to be salt and light in a dark and decaying world as a believer. Father, have your way as we come to a conclusion here at this time. God, fill us by your spirit. God, give us a comfort from your word. And God, use this body of believers to touch this city, these hurting people for your glory. I pray in Jesus' name. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed for just another moment, please. If you're here today... You may have been coming for a long time. It might be you're here for the first time. It doesn't matter. 
But if you're not absolutely sure, I mean joyfully sure, that your sins are totally out of the picture now, forgiven by the through the blood of Jesus Christ, and you're not just absolutely sure that heaven would be your home when you die, and we're all going to die and go somewhere. This might be the first time you've heard a message like this. I don't know. But after the service today or during the week, we would be delighted by appointment to talk with you, just to explain and answer questions that you might have. It is a tremendous thing to come into a personal knowledge of the living God. Nothing like it. Absolutely nothing like it. And for those of us that are seeking to shine as lights in a dark place, we want to pray that God will renew the fire in our hearts, that the light might continue to shine brightly. Amen? That the light might continue, might continue to shine to our neighbors, our friends, just everywhere we go. This is a difficult place to do that, but we want God to do that through us. Heavenly Father, it's beyond us to understand how you could love us like this. Your great compassion upon us. How can you be our creator and our redeemer at the same time? God, these, these things just are beyond our ability to comprehend. May the Spirit of God just refresh us now in the things of the gospel, this good news, this wonderful message. And may we have the joy of seeing many people in this city, in this dark place, through the work of the Spirit of God in our lives and in their lives. May we see them come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and be gloriously and wonderfully brought into fellowship with you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's sing together just uh, the hymn uh, for the hymn number 388. Hymn number 388. We have great need for the gospel to get through this city, and we are not able to do that. Would you look this way for just a moment? It occurred to me this morning as I was praying that I can't give anybody else's life to God, but I can give my own life to God. Huh? And when Isaiah saw his vision, there was this question that came, Who, God said to Isaiah, who will go for me? Who, who can I send? That, that was the question. That was a personal question. And Isaiah couldn't send, well, say, send my neighbor. Send my pastor, send somebody else. He couldn't say that. Remember what he said? Here am I, Lord, send me. That's what I said this morning to the Lord when I was praying. I said, Lord, I can't give anybody else to you, but I'm going to give myself to you anew in the work. And it's a joy to do that. Whom shall I send who will go? Here am I. Send me. And that's what this.